Hello, this is Colin Birdwhistle, member of the Associated Press, NPR contributor, and the New York Times editorial director. This week we have our second installment of the BBC production of Blood Runs Red in the oil patch with oil men Clem Hostetler and Dan Barney. In this week's episode, we delve into the origins of their careers as independent oil men. So, how are the two of you doing this week? The real question is, how are you doing this week, Caleb? We didn't think you'd want to do another podcast with us. He seemed a little upset last time. <laughs> it's Colin. And I'm not that upset with you. In fact, you confirmed many of my expectations. Yeah, yeah that's a damn good thing. I'm glad you made it back. Uh, I thought you were too swishy to roll around in the tar with a real old man. I, I am an interviewer. I don't roll in tar. <laughs> well, that's more tar for us. <laughs> So I guess this week's podcast about how we made the patch our home. You ready to move up from them midget dick interviews you normally give? Sure. Dan, are you feeling all right? You sound like you're in pain. Well, Caleb, I've been having some health problems. Well, uh, what are you suffering from? We'll get into that later. Right now... We have to do our oil price report and, of course, read the oil man's prayer. Yes, of course. The price of West Texas Intermediate is $110.40, up 0.58%. Brent, North Sea, $140.20, up 0.52%. Buena Vista Hills, $114, up 0.72%. Oh, uh, oh, Clem just keeps getting richer. And, of course, Midway Sunset, $109.51, up 0.68%. Okay, now that that shit's over with, Clem, would you like to recite The Oil Man's Prayer? Well, it'd be a privilege and an honor, Dan. Our boss man, up there in heaven somewhere, hallowed is your goddamn name. Your will be done, you'll get her done. On time and under budget, on our dirt, as it is in heaven. Give us our monthly mailbox money. Forgive us for our trespasses. But God, our bullets into the foreheads who will trespass upon our leases. Lead us into the glorious pay zone and deliver us from infernal dry holes. God damn right. God damn right. Thank you kindly, Clem. Yeah, whatever. Dan, you were speaking of your health problems. What are you suffering from? Oh, hell. Here we go. Well, they are all debilitating and painful. I suffer from 
congested the heart on account of the fried foods and fatty meats I love so much. Makes my heart vein skinnier than a meth whore. Then my hemorrhoids started acting up again. I've been spending a lot of time in the shitter. Old Sawbones says that was the cause, but you know those cocksuckers. They are all medical college boys. Got an answer for everything. Then there's my diabetes, melamelton. Oh, shit, I can't pronounce it. Melitis, diabetes, melitis. Oh, so now you're a faggot and a doctor. Let me finish, goddammit. Sawbones says I got diabetes because I like to eat sugar right out of the bag. Yeah, I, I, I seen him do it. We got to keep a few bags in the work trailer just for Dan. Anyway, I hate needles and I ain't going to stick it in my own ass. So I got me one of them so-called caregivers to give me my insulin shots. Anyway, that flippapina whore says she don't want to come to my house no more because she's afraid of me. Thinks I may sexually assault her. Well, you do always call her a whore. Well, she is a whore. She comes to my house, sticks something in my butt, and leaves. Anyway, the thing causing the most trouble right now is the gout. My knees are swollen up, and I got these pus-filled goiters on my feet. As we speak, I got my legs propped up on a pillar. Well, my pillar, in fact. Mike Lindell is a fine American. His pillars aren't much for sleeping on, but they serve nicely propping up swollen legs. Oh, hurts like a sumbitch. Sawbones says I gotta stop eating organ meats. Good luck keeping me away from my liver and onions. How Clem cannot imagine a world without liver and onions. You know, Dan... You've always been a panty waste. Can't handle the good life. Old Clem's had a bottle of Kentucky Gentleman every day since he was nine year old. Daddy Roy used to give it to me to get me to sleep or to settle me down, so I'd stop kicking the dog. Kicking the dog. <laughs> Old Clem loves to hurt animals. The hell's wrong with that? I ain't gonna tell nobody. Clem, what is wrong with you? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Clem is a completely self-actualized gentleman. Clem knows who he is, and Clem knows what he likes to do. The animals. Uh, what was this show supposed to be about again? Oh, yes. How you both got your starts in the oil business. Clem, how did you get your start in the business? Well, it is a very long story, so you better have your poop bucket at the ready. Clem don't want to stop spinning his yarn so you can go to the turtle like a woman. You got it? You got your poop bucket, Caleb? 
Yes, Clem, I have my poop bucket. I'm looking at it now. Good. Yes, <laughs> you're gonna need it. Oh, Clem's gonna spin you a yarn. See, them story don't start with old Clem. It starts with Daddy Roy. Now, Daddy Roy was born Roy Deacon in 1910 in Henderson, the county seat of Russ County, Texas. Deacons were uh, well-to-do at a 10-acre watermelon farm. It afforded them a better life than most in the area because most of them folks were very, very poor. Yeah, the Deacons had enough money to afford a car, an indoor shitter, a fresh red paint barn, and enough money to educate Daddy Roy at the very prestigious Texas A&M University. Now, if anybody here know anything about the oil industry, something really big was about to happen. In 1929, here the Great Depression, this, this old fat bitch come to town. His name was Columbus Dad Joyner. He'd tell everybody who would listen that there's a shitload of oil underneath their feet. So this old boy go to my granddaddy and grandmama and gets them to lease them their farm to drill into the woodbine formation. About 3,550 feet deep. And he promised them $10 an acre every year and 10% working interest in the well in exchange for their mineral rights. Yeah, he figured, hell, these mineral rights ain't no good unless somebody drills them a well. So fuck it. So, uh, this old boy gets a bunch of them out-of-work locals and goes down there to poor boy them a well. What is poor boy? Poor boy a well means using substandard materials and paying your workers and groceries. That sounds horribly dangerous. Damn right it's fucking dangerous. So they drilled this sucker, and when they was done, everybody started hearing an angry kind of rumbling coming from below, like the devil was about ready to take a giant shit. And sure enough, he did. His son bitch and joiner had just tapped into the biggest oil field in the United States. It was a gusher. The sky turned black and green, and it covered my granddaddy's entire watermelon crop with oil. Oh, oh, how happy they were. They started making plans to pick up and move to greener pastures. They called Daddy Roy at the university to tell him the great news that they was rich now and the world could all go suck a pecker. They had the money to send them to Harvard or Yale or some other fancy pants school that them East Coast faggots send their tea-sipping girly boys. And oh, oh, how happy Daddy Roy was. <laughs> so the granddad and grandmama go to Dallas to get themselves a 
1929 Studebaker Roadster. On credit, of course. And they drive all over Hell's Creation, Texas. Ooh. Columbus Joyner had become the most famous man in Texas since Sam Houston. People started calling him Dad Joyner because he was father of the East Texas oil field. He was instantly rich, and so was the town of Anderson. And so was my granddaddy and grandmama. He owned a 10% stake in the biggest well in Texas. Or so they believed. Well, <laughs> wouldn't you know it, <laughs> that joiner sold a 10% working interest in the same well to 40 different families in the area. <laughs> As I had mentioned, by the terms of the deal my granddaddy had signed, he turned over the mineral rights of his farm in exchange for that 10% working interest in the well that was to be drilled there. Most of the other investors had also pledged the mineral rights to their farms for a chance to be part of what was called the Deacon Well Number 1. It didn't take long for the investors in Dad Joyner's deal to find out what had been done to them. They got south mouth. Dad Joyner just pulled off the, the perfect crime. Joyner knew that he'd proven up a brand new oil field using other people's money, gobbled up their mineral rights in the process, and left them to sue him and each other over the ownership of but a single well. This would surely be a lengthy, painful, and costly process that would drive all the grieving investors into Joiner's office to settle the matter in a way that was cheap and quiet for Dad. Now he owned the mineral rights to all future development in the hottest play in Texas. And in Texas, mineral rights owners are like the house in Las Vegas. The house always wins. You're kidding. There must have been some legal way to redress this. Couldn't the victims have sued to get their mineral rights back? <laughs> God damn it, Caleb. Ain't no legal protection for stupid. Scamming people out of their money and property is the cornerstone of this great nation. Hell, we convinced a bunch of them stupid redskins to sell us Manhattan Island for $15 worth of glass beads. <laughs> now hush up and let old Clem tell the rest of the goddamn story. Sorry, Clem. Please continue. Well, all right. So a week later, Granddaddy and Grandmama come back to downtown Henderson and their new red Studebaker to show it off, only to be told by their friends and neighbors what Dad Joyner done and that they need to get a lawyer as soon as possible. There had been a dozen lawsuits already filed against Joyner that day. Well, he drove there. New Red Studebaker 
back to the farm. The well had no tanks yet, and so oil was everywhere. You could see the shapes of the watermelons, ten acres worth, under a thick black goop. Their house was also covered in oil. For some reason, only that shiny new red barn was spared from the gusher that was supposed to make them rich. Had lost the farm. The melons were ruined. And the soil was too. They wouldn't be able to afford Daddy Roy's tuition to the prestigious Texas A&M. And they sure shit couldn't afford the payments to a brand new red Studebaker. So, Granddaddy and Grandmama pull that brand new red Studebaker into the barn. They close the barn door and they left the engine running. And that's where they found them the next morning. That is horrific and incredibly sad. I'm sorry for your family, Clem. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's the old business. One minute you're rich, and the next minute you kill yourself by carbon monoxide inhalation. Ain't that the truth? I almost done that a few times. Well, you know, old Clem, he, he don't believe in suicide. But Clem does believe in homicide. Which brings me to the next part of the story. When Daddy Roy come back to town. So, Daddy Roy gets a call to come back to Henderson to bury his mom and dad. He packs up his shit, which he didn't have much of, and makes his way back home. He didn't know how they died, just that they was dead. He wondered how they had gone from being so happy, being so dead. So, when he gets back, all his friends in town tell him what Dad Joyner done. So, Daddy Roy went to the hardware store to buy himself a hatchet. Store owner let him have it for nothing, because he had a pretty good idea what Daddy Roy was going to do with it. had his offices on Main Street on the second floor of a building that had a candy store underneath. Well, Daddy Roy walked up them stairs, opened up that door, and walked straight into Dad's office. Hell, he busted in, quite unannounced. Joyner was at his desk writing something on a piece of paper. Well, before he knew it, that hatchet come down right on his hand, cutting it in half. Then he started screaming like the pig he was. But the hatchet got stuck in Joyner's desk. Joyner boys heard the screaming, came in behind Daddy Roy, and hit him square in the back of the head with a baseball bat. So then Daddy Roy wakes up with him. Bleeding head in the county jail. He looks up and 
Looking down, him was the biggest old sheriff you ever seen. Ooh. It was the Cornelius Hostetler himself. He was famous in Henderson for being sheriff so long with, without getting killed. Most people had enough sense not to fuck with him. Those who didn't have no sense uh, went to jail or went missing. Dederoy and the sheriff knew each other. Eh, the sheriff never cared much for the deacons. No reason, really. He just didn't like people. I suppose that's why he became a sheriff to begin with. So he looks down at Daddy Roy and says, Hey, boy, you're neck deep in shit. You just tried to murder the most powerful man in East Texas. And Daddy Roy says, Yep, I sure did. I'd have done it too. But that hatchet got stuck in his goddamn desk. I should aim for a skull. <laughs> and Sheriff Hostetler let out this laugh so big, it shook the jailhouse. As it turned out, Dad Joyner had swindled the sheriff's wife's sister, also selling her a 10% working interest in the Deacon Well Number 1. So the sheriff opens up the cell and picks Daddy Roy off the ground and says, You got your day in court tomorrow, so you better get out now. The sheriff calls in his deputy and orders him to take Daddy Roy out the back exit. Stay away from them fucking vultures with the cameras outside the jailhouse. Sheriff Hostetler said the state of Texas will be sending the Texas Rangers after him. So we better get lost, real lost, and never show his face in Texas ever again. Daddy Roy thanked Sheriff Hostetler and promised to one day return the favor. The sheriff said seeing Dad join her screaming and missing half a hand was favor enough. And so the deputy puts Daddy Roy in the trunk of the police car and they leave in the dark of the night. To Texarkana. Uh, so Daddy Roy makes it to the railroad station on the Arkansas side of the border and hops a rail car. And uh, there were lots of guys in riding them lines. And uh, them Arkies was escaping too. But they was escaping from the Great Depression, of course. And everybody was headed west to California. Daddy Roy knew what he'd done would probably follow him around. Uh, so to cover his tracks, he changed his name to Roy D. Hostetler. Had a respect and gratitude to that big old sheriff. A name I proudly claim as my own. Anyway, that's the story of how Daddy Roy escaped Texas justice and Came to California. Clem, that was a fantastic and colorful story about your father. All stories about Daddy Roy are great. I believe you. I believe you, Clem. So you were raised in California. Yeah. Yeah. 
Clam was born in Oaldale, California, about four miles from Bakersfield, where Clem still resides in his highly fortified urban compound. But old Clem, he, he's getting tired of talking. Uh, old Clem, he's, he's getting tired from remembering. Uh, I ask, ask the uh, other guy something. Uh, what's his name? Dan. Dan, you tell your story. 